0: Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. We're returning to our study on the lives of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and looking at their faith. Hebrews 11, we'll be reading verse 31. And speaking of the faith of Rahab, the Bible says, By faith the heart of Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she would received the spies. With peace, I'm going to ask for the gamists to lead us in prayer this morning as we come. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we read this chapter and see the names that are mentioned, at first glance it seemed very curious why God would mention Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and especially Rahab the harlot. But when you take a closer look in the Old Testament at their lives, you'll notice what God is trying to highlight. In their face, so I want you to go back with me this morning to Joshua, chapter six. We're going to work our way backwards in the scripture this morning. We're going to start with the battle of Jericho because that's where Rahab lived. She lived on the wall of this city. She was a harlot, as the Bible mentions several times. And Israel had come into the Promised Land. They'd been in the desert for forty years because of their unbelief. A generation had passed away. And now as they come to their first battle, they reach Jericho and they see these great and mighty walls, this city that's enclosed. And look what it says in verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Now this is the promise that God had given Joshua. Go back with me to chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 3. As they came into the promised land, here's what God had told Joshua. In verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now Joshua knew he had God's promise that he was going to give them this land. And Joshua was one of the spies that had been sent in 40 years earlier. He came back, Joshua and Caleb, they came back. They were excited about the land. They were excited about the potential, they were excited about what God was going to do. But there were 12 spies sent out, and 10 of those came back, the Bible says, with an evil report, a negative spirit. And they saw all the beauty. They saw the milk and honey. They saw the potential, but they also saw the giants. And the Bible says that they discouraged the hearts of God's people uh, through their evil report. They said, we just can't do it. We can't conquer, and God said... uh, because of your unbelief, I'm going to let you wander around in the wilderness. It was only Joshua that had spiritual vision. Now, let me issue this this morning. Too few Christians have spiritual vision. Everyone has vision on some level. If you talk to a 17 or 18-year-old, they talk about the car they want to buy and the house they're going to have and the person they're going to marry. Most of that's called imagination more than vision. And you don't want to pop their bubble, but what you do want to help them understand the reality is life and then encourage them to seek something on a spiritual level. And most kids, if you talk to a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, they're talking about being on the sixth level of some Xbox game. and That's the only vision they have. That's the only purpose in their life, but they ought to have some kind of spiritual vision. I hope Men, as the leaders of your home, you have a spiritual vision for your family. I hope there's something you want to accomplish with your children, with your marriage. I hope, mothers, that you're praying for your children and that you have a spiritual vision for them if they've grown up in a good Christian environment like this with a Christian school and club ministries and many other things at their disposal. You ought to be in prayer, even if God doesn't call them into full-time ministry, that they are the finest members of this church. And that this church is able to build ministries upon their lives. That God uses them in a great way. And you ought to be stirring up in them some kind of spiritual vision. They had a desire to have a walk with God. They had a desire to win souls. They had a desire to be involved in ministries in their local church. Joshua had a spiritual vision. But he saw, when he came into this land, he knew that God was going to give them ...this area, and as they come to Jericho, this great walled city... ...now according to the archaeologists, this city had two separate walls. One was about six feet thick that went around the entire city... ...and the inner wall was about 12 feet thick. Now according to anybody's standards, it was impenetrable. They knew there was no way, humanly speaking, that they could conquer this city. And I think when God told them the plan to conquer this city... ...that they had to walk around this city one time a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, 13 trips around this city, Say, Pastor, what was that for? I think God wanted to establish in their mind that they could not. There was no way that they could conquer this city on their own through their own might. He wanted to establish in their minds that it would be him that would give them, and let me just say this, speaking of the Christian life, We would love to have God just give us the victory without having to ever lift a finger. Wouldn't it have been easier instead of getting up and walking around that city every day uh, for seven days and then seven times on the seventh day, wouldn't it have been easier just to get down there and say, God, would you let these walls fall and then have everything crumble and they walk in and recover the spoil and conquer their enemy? That's the way we wish God would work. We don't like the battle, but God allows us to battle, to build our faith. But here was the plan, verse 3. Ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war. So he said, I want you to take the men of war and go round about the city once. Now that would have sounded good, but that wasn't the end of the conversation. He said, thus shalt thou do six days. Did you know this is a step of faith? How many of you have been safe long enough to realize a lot of the Christian life seems to be about going around in circles? (laughs) God said, here's this great city, and I want to help you conquer this city, and here's my plan. You get up every morning. Now, they were encamped at at least a, a reasonable distance from the city. So when you take that many soldiers, you march them over to the city, then you march them around the city. We're talking several hours of walking, marching, hiking. And then you come home again. Can you imagine the women and the children when they got home that day? So how did the battle go? It went great. How many were killed? None. How many did you kill? None. What did you do? We marched. You marched. What would you say? Nothing. The Lord told us to be quiet. So you just marched around the city in silence. Yes, but we took the ark and it was in front of us and there were seven priests, and they blew the ram's horns, and people looked down off those city walls. Some laughed, some mocked, some stared, some sat in silence. And then we came home. And they said, that was God's plan. That's God's plan. So what are you going to do tomorrow? The same thing. How long are you going to do that? Six days. That sounds pretty useless. So what's going to happen? I don't know. We're going to leave that up to God. How many you ever felt like, God's commands, it, it was just a circle. You know, you go out sowing and you knock on a door, you talk to someone, you pass out a track, you talk to someone at work, you try to explain to them the death, the burial and the resurrection that salvation is by grace, not by works. And even though you show them Ephesians 2, 8 and Titus 3, 5 and other scripture and you took them to Romans 3 and you were excited and you said, if I read them 10 verses in, the, in a row, they'll understand that works has nothing to do with salvation. And when you finished, here's what they said, I'm saved and I think I'm good enough. And you put your hand to your head and you thought everything I said was not even heard. Sometimes it just seems like Christian life is walking in a circle. You say, Preacher, I tithe and I give and I get admissions and I help people, and it seems like financially I'm just walking in a circle. Pastor, I go to church and I'm trying to build a family and I'm Read my Bible, and I've made it from Genesis to Revelation five times, and it seems like I'm just reading in a circle. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know the Christian life is about routine? Yes, right, do you know the Christian life? Now, we don't complain about that in real life. Did you understand real life is the same thing? You know, you did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday the same thing. Right? Yeah. You do every Monday what you do every Monday. It's called routine, it's called discipline. And the Christian life takes some discipline because those commands that God gives us to obey often are not understood. And by obeying them, it takes faith because sometimes we just feel like every day we walk around the same city, the same walls, look at the same enemy and say, at what point does God actually do something? Do you know faith is about perseverance? And here's what faith will lead you to do. It'll lead you to persevere until God gives the victory. Can you imagine if they'd walked around that city every day for five days, and at the end of the five days, the men would have said, "This is useless, this is fruitless. We're done. we're finished, had enough." That's, that's the destiny the average Christian reaches. He does good just long enough to be frustrated. God says, I'm going to give you faith. I'm going to help you persevere because I have a plan in mind. And so every day they get up, they walk around this city. Rahab is up there on those walls watching. The people don't quite know what to think. I'm sure the ground trembles to some degree. They're wondering. Maybe the first and second day they were curious. They were quiet. Maybe they were even nervous. But after the third or fourth or fifth day, probably after the sixth day for sure, they're confident in saying these people don't have a plan. They simply need some exercise. This is a military training exercise. Their general has no idea how to penetrate our walls. Don't worry. Matter of fact, we'll get some rocks here sooner or later, some clubs, some bricks or blocks, and throw them off the wall and hopefully kill one of their soldiers. But we have nothing to be concerned about. Look what it says in verse 4. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets. Now, what was the ark of God for? That was the presence of God. And God wanted them to know, I am going to be with you in this battle. It was God's presence. It was God's might and power that would give them the victory. And the seventh day, you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. See what he was doing? He was building up their stamina for the seventh day. Because that was an extra long walk, seven trips around the, the city. You know, back then there were no Baptists, because there are very few Baptists can make a walk, a hike, <laughs> a journey like that. That's longer than 6K, I'm for sure. The wall of the city shall fall down flat, the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. Before the ark of the Lord. So immediately he said, if this is God's plan, it will work. And it did. So they got up every single day, marched over to the city, marched around the city, came home. How many of you think that after four or five days, most of those men weren't wondering what in the world is going on? Is this a plan at all? Maybe some of them begin to think, I think we're just stalling for time. I think Joshua is supposed to come up with an idea. He has no idea at all. So meanwhile, he just wants us to walk. And every day they walk around that city. And on the seventh day, look what it says in verse 20. The people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpet and it came to pass. Now, this was a shout of confidence, a shout of triumph. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Now you've got to understand a wall of this size that encompassed an entire city, the Bible says it fell down flat. That alone is a miracle. Not that it would tip and tumble over, but that it would fall flat so that the enemy could cross over so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Here's what I like about God's word. Here's what I like about God's promises. Here's what I like about Bible principle. It always works. This is one of the greatest motivational factors that I have in life. This is what helps me persevere. I've lived long enough and obeyed this book long enough to know it always works. It works in the family, it works with children, it works in the ministry, it works in the home. It works, it works with relationships, it works with friendships. It works in my finances. God's principles always work. And if you want to prove that your principle works better than God's principle, that you work long enough, you'll come to the understanding God's principles always work. Man's way always fails. Oh, humanly speaking, it doesn't always make sense, but it does work. And they walked around those walls. They fell flat. They took the city, verse 23. And the young men that were spies went in. They brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Now imagine this for a minute. The entire wall falls flat. Where did Rahab live? On the wall. So everything falls flat except for her house That's not a coincidence. That's providence. That is God saying, I made a promise. Here's a woman of faith. She believed my word. I'm going to save her and her family. So when everyone else dies, the wall falls over. There's a section of wall that is her house that is left standing. They go in, bring her out. Verse 25, Joshua saved Rahab, the heart of the life, her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, having read the battle of Jericho, let's go back to Joshua chapter 2 and see her story. Because when Joshua and the Israelites come into the Promised Land, they know their first battle will be Jericho. So he sends in two men to spy out the city secretly. Now, you have to understand, they'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't know anything about spying. The Israelites didn't have a special branch called the CIA of Israel. So when they sent these two men in, immediately, word got back to the king, we got two fumbling, bumbling spies walking around here. Can you imagine? These men were so inexperienced, the whole city caught on within minutes. And there was hospitality. They found it in the house of Rahab, according to the custom of the day. She took them in, was kind to them. And the king immediately sends men back to figure out what is going on. She hides them in a roof. Underneath the stalks of flax, verse 6. And when the men's, uh, the king's servants come, she says, well, they came here and they left in a hurry. You might want to pursue them immediately. And they took off to pursue men that were actually hiding on her roof. But look at verse 9, because we're going to look at the faith of Rahab. She says unto the men, I know. Did you see that confidence? I know that the Lord hath given you the land. How in the world did she know that? She was not an Israelite. She hadn't heard the promise. She hadn't been around for the speeches. She hadn't been there 40 years earlier. Somehow word had trickled down to her and she believed it. So when these two men showed up to her house where he Israelites, she said, hey, I want you to come to my house. I want to talk to you because I know your God is almighty and he's promised you this land. And if you guys are going to conquer this land, I want to save my life. So let's have a conversation here. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Now, why were they fainting? They were not fainting because of this great army of marching Soldiers had come into the land. They were seeing tents. They weren't seeing shields and sword and a well trained army. That was not the cause of their fear. The cause of their fear was something that had happened 40 years earlier. Look what the Bible says We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and that ye did what ye did under the two kings of the Amorites. That were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. She's referring to something, to events that had happened 40 years earlier. She said, our gates are locked, our doors are shut. We are trembling in fear, not because of the crossing of Jordan, not because the strength of the army of the Israelites, because God had done something supernatural on their behalf 40 years earlier. And the Israelites had not believed, although they had seen. Those that had crossed the Red Sea, those that had seen the mighty hand of God, those that had witnessed the miracles and experienced the ten plagues, didn't have enough faith to trust that God was going to give them the land. But a woman who had seen none of that, experienced none of that, simply heard about it, An experience from 40 years earlier, she said, I know that that is the true God, and he is going to give you this land. Do you see the faith? Her faith really condemns a lot of Israelites. All those that died doubting in the wilderness had seen the mighty hand of God. She had not seen one miracle. She had not heard anything herself But this was second and third and fourth hand information she had received. But she said, I know that's the truth and I know that's a real God. And I fear for my life. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water. We had heard about what happened to Sihon and Og. Verse 11, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Can you imagine an entire city without courage? the men are hiding there was no more courage in them for the lord your god he is god in heaven above and in earth beneath now as she's talking to them she says i want you to have mercy verse 12 now therefore i pray you swear to me by the lord since i have showed you kindness that you also show kindness Unto my father's house and give me a true token that ye will save alive my father, my mother, my brother, and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And here's what they said. They said, we'll deal kindly with you on two conditions. You're going to have to gather all your family together the day that we march into the city. You're going to have to keep them at your house because we're going to destroy everything in this city and God's going to give us the victory. And as a token, you're going to have to hang a scarlet thread, a red cord, out your window. And you can't say anything to anybody at any time about what we are going to do. And she said, that's a done deal. Then because her house was against uh, the wall of the city, she opened up her back window. She let them out. They escaped, went and hid them out for three days and came to Joshua. Now, I want you to imagine Rahab for a minute is the army comes to Jericho. Remember, she can't explain anything to anybody. How in the world is this woman going to gather her family together at her house, preparing them for the impending doom that is about ready to take place? What is she going to say? Remember this this is a harlot. This is a woman of the street. This is someone who has ruined and wrecked her life in order to sell her body for gain, for gold. Her reputation. She doesn't have one, really. She's called a harlot repeatedly. So who's going to listen to her? How many homes has she destroyed? How many marriages has she ruined? How much sadness has she brought, not just upon others, but upon her own life? Listen, it wasn't because of poverty. It wasn't because she was living in the street. She had a house. She had family in the city. She had people that could have come to her help, to her aid. But there she is. And she gathers her family somehow, some way, takes this scarlet thread, hangs it out the window. Now imagine, as the soldiers come, she's on the wall so she can see them. Every day, she might have even been trying to wave, but she has to be careful that she doesn't cause any suspicion among her neighbors or the people of the city. But can you imagine her excitement? They come, the soldiers come, and they march around the city. And she's telling her family, this is it, this is it. This is the moment I promised you. And then in silence, they leave. And her family says, this is the moment we've been waiting for. No, something's going something's to happen, I promise. Something amazing is going to happen. When? I don't know. Now, you got to remember... She's counting on the word of two spies. That's all she has to count on. This is why God is speaking of her great faith. This was not like God appearing to man as he did at other times in the Old Testament. He had not appeared to Rahab the harlot. He had not sent an angel. He hadn't done any special miracle. This was simply her seeing from afar, hearing from a distance that there was a mighty God with a mighty plan and her believing. So even when they came, even when they marched, even when they left, she didn't give a poem. And they came a second day. And they came a third day. Now let me ask you this. Do you think there wasn't any curiosity over the cord that was hanging out her window? What does the whole scarlet thread, the red cord mean? But she couldn't say a word. Oh, it doesn't mean anything. I'm just doing a little braiding. I'm just weaving a rope. I'm just designing a new color. Looking at a new business venture. She can say nothing. Now, we know in scripture the meaning, the symbolic meaning of the scarlet thread. Most of us and most preachers, when they talk about the scarlet thread, you know what they do? They look forward from Rahab's time to the cross and speak about the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're on the cross when Jesus Christ shed his blood for the sins of mankind. But I think it was easier for them, the Israelites, to see that and think back 40 years to their deliverance from Egypt. How many of you remember the Passover, the death angel? And what did Christ tell those Israelites? You're going to take that lamb without spot, without blemish, shed his blood, put the blood on the doorpost, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Here's what she knew. She was going to have to put that up, that scarlet thread that so clearly represented the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and I imagine some of those Israelites knew her story when they saw that scarlet thread. They remembered back to the stories they had heard. Maybe some of those children now had grown old. Maybe some of those firstborn now were looking back. That night was vivid in their memory because they were fearful for their own lives. And they remembered that the death angel had passed by. Keep your finger there for just a minute. Go with me to First Peter 1 Peter one eighteen, speaking of the shed blood, it's amazing how religion will try to convince man that it's through good works that man gains entrance into heaven when Christ came and had to die and had to shed his blood because there's no way man can earn his entrance into heaven. Look what it says in verse 18, 1 Peter 1.18 For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ is a lamb without blemish and without spot. How many of you understand the only reason you're saved, the only reason you have the promise of eternal life is because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know it has nothing to do with your baptism. You know it has nothing to do with your good works. You know that of yourself you would be hopeless. But Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, shed his blood. And I'm sure as those men walked around the city, some of those soldiers were the firstborn that had escaped from the death angel that night because their mom and dad had obeyed and believed the word of the Lord and put the blood on the doorpost. And the angel had passed over. But she watched his six days. Those men walked around the city. And on the seventh day, she began to wonder what was going on. Because this time they went once and twice and three times and four times. And you know the story. Seven times. I'm sure at this point her heart is pounding. Something special is about ready to happen. Can you imagine the earthquake that took place? I wonder if her house shook it all or if God just simply put his finger on it and maintained it completely still while everything else was crumbling and caving all around her. As those houses fell, her house stood. Now let me ask you something before we go any further. Do you think... There was any purpose at all, any need at all, to send in the spies. Now, these are two qualified men. Remember, highly trained. Sneak in, sneak out. Look like trees. (laughs) Act like you're from Jericho. Talk like you're from the area. These boys were clueless. They fumbled around and bumbled around and messed it up. God saved their necks. But you better understand the providence involved in all this because God wasn't... Needing special information. Joshua needed no special secret information in order to conquer Jericho. Do you think they brought out notepads? There's one gate. It's normally not locked. The wall is high and thick. And those people are scared. Folks, there was no special information there. You know what this was about? God was concerned about the souls in that city. And he said, there's one woman, one family that'll listen. And I don't want to destroy that city until those people are rescued. Did you know that God is still concerned today as he was a thousand years ago about, listen, we're talking about a prostitute. We're talking about a harlot. We're talking about someone that was of no concern to anyone else in the city. A sinner. And here's what man has to understand. Man has to understand his condition before God. And boy, the pride of man, it just doesn't like accepting the fact that we are sinners condemned to go to hell. Now, here's why she was approached. Because she was willing to be honest about her condition and listen to the truth. And that's rare in this day and age. Most people come to church. Most people, if you knock on the door, if you talk to them, they have all these preconceived ideas. They've been born and raised in a religion, in a denomination. And they believe, because I was sprinkled when I was a baby, because I went to this church, because I'm a Mormon, a Methodist, a Baptist, I'm a deacon at the Baptist Church, uh, because I've been a treasurer as a Presbyterian. I... uh, went to catechism classes when I was a child in the Catholic Church. None of that matters when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. I'm glad you come to this church. Well, I consider myself a Baptist, and I've been baptized a Baptist. Let me ask you this. Are you born again? Are you willing to look at the truth of God's word? Are you willing to say whatever God says, I've got to align my thinking with God's thinking? Because that's God's heaven that I want to get into. And he's the one that sets the rules. And here was a woman that was willing to be open to the truth. When confronted with the truth, this city, she lived in a place that was condemned. It was about ready to be destroyed. Now, we know Jericho is a very wicked city. I read several commentaries and even a few historians yesterday, and one man made this comment, society was bettered with the total elimination of Jericho because of their wickedness, their sexual orgies, the slaughtering of children, their wicked behavior. It was a wicked city, but God said, I will judge their wickedness And there was a set date. Now, these people were totally ignorant about what was going to happen. The whole city, they heard the people marching. They had received the news. Many watched from the walls, but they were ignorant of the impending judgment that was about ready to fall. But God said, there will be judgment. I will determine that moment. Condemnation is just around the corner. And here's what's sad to so many Today, 2013, in their sinful condition, are totally ignorant of their coming judgment and the condemnation that has already been placed upon them. The wages of sin is still death. And a man without Christ that dies in his sins will still go to hell. But there is something wonderful called the grace of God. And God said, listen, it's as simple as this. Anybody willing to accept my grace and turn from their sin can have eternal life. How much more kind can you be than that? God was extending his mercy to this city. Not just to this city, but to the lowest, to the vilest, to the worst sinner in the city. And God said through simple faith. I don't need any works. I don't need any baptism. I don't need any church membership. I need simple faith and I will offer my grace. But here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to acknowledge the truth, overcome your previous beliefs, accept what I say. And here's what she said. As soon as she heard, she believed verse 12. She wasn't just willing to believe. Be open to the truth. But she had the courage to make a tough decision. She said, we've heard. Our hearts did melt. Now, I pray you swear to me, Lord, I've showed you kindness. Show me kindness. Now, let me ask you something. When these men came to the city, you say, well, she was a harlot. Well, I believe maybe at this point she wasn't a practicing harlot because if she had flax on her roof, she was working with her hands. But I believe her faith led her to seek out these two men because they weren't very tricky. And she, like so many others, immediately realized these were Israelites. So knowing the truth, believing the truth, she brought them into her house and said, I want to escape judgment. I want to find mercy. Now, this was a tough decision because she was placing her own life in danger by bringing these spies into her house. And here's what salvation is. Salvation is a tough decision. Here's what happens. A man grows up with a false belief. man grows up in religion and believes if, if I simply do the right things and I avoid murder and I don't hate anyone and I'm not mean to anyone, as long as I confess after I occasionally sin, so long as I go to bed at night with a clean heart, I'll be okay. And then at some point, God introduces the truth to them. Maybe through a friend or a family member, a neighbor, a relative. Maybe they come to a church that preaches the gospel. And suddenly they're told the plan of salvation. They're told that they are a sinner. And that sin has a consequence. That consequence is death in hell. And most people at that point stop and say, I'm not worthy of hell. Well, there's a problem, biblically speaking, according to God's word, all of us are worthy of hell. Committing one sin makes us worthy of hell. That's why God in his love and mercy sent Jesus Christ. That's the symbolism of the scarlet thread, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ saying, I will take your place I will pay your price. I will offer you the gift of eternal life. Now, at that moment, you have a tough decision. Why is it so tough? There are other people around. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to admit your condition. You may have to raise your hand. You may have to step out of an auditorium. Someone else will notice that you now need to be saved. Guess what? Everyone in here had to come to that same point. How many of you sat in the service, heard the gospel preached, sat through an invitation, fell under conviction, and raised your hand admitting your condition as a lost sinner? Look at those hands. The majority of us. All of us in life have got to admit at that moment and make a decision that's a tough decision because maybe you're going to be talking to someone you don't even know. Or maybe that's because you're talking to a friend or a neighbor or a relative, a family member that's telling you, if you die right now in your sins, you will be lost forever in the lake of fire. And that's offensive terminology. Me? In the lake of fire? God's way too merciful to do something like that. No, God's so merciful, he sent his son. He offers you a way of escape. He'll save your soul. And here's what God was doing. He was extending mercy to Rahab the harlot. But she had to make a tough decision. And she brought those spies into her house, sat them down, listened to the truth. Now, look what she did in verse 12. Then she cries out for mercy. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house. Now, this is saving faith. If someone truly is going to get born again, you know what they have to do? They have to cry out for mercy, and most people never reach this point. No, I don't need to cry out for mercy. I am a good person. I don't need to cry out for mercy. I am already a church member. I don't need to cry out for mercy because I've never killed anyone. I don't need to cry out for mercy because I've been baptized. And men in their pride, the last thing they want to do is to cry out for mercy. But she said, listen, I understand I live in a condemned place. Without your help, I'm hopeless. So, is there any way I can receive mercy? Aren't you glad that one day you threw yourself upon the mercy of God? I'm glad I'm not going to get what I deserve I deserve hell. I deserve the lake of fire. But one day I threw myself on the mercy of God. And here's what the grace of God does. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Now, think about this woman. Here was a harlot. God, when he destroyed this city, saved one house. Saved a family, and the person in that house was a harlot. And look what it says, and go back with me to chapter 6, verse 25. This step of faith, she opened herself up to the truth. She had the courage to make a tough decision. She cried out for mercy. This step of faith saved her life. Now, you know what being born again will do? It'll save you, save you from hell, save you from your sins. It'll save your life and give you a new future. Now, think about what kind of future she had there in Jericho. None. She was going to live on the wall of that city as the city harlot until death. Even if she had changed from being a prostitute to working with her hands, she already had been labeled by her past as a prostitute but God said, I can change all that. And when that wall fell and they came and rescued you, her out of her house, look what it says in verse 25. Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, her father's household and all that she had, and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day. You know what God did? Immediately gave her a new family. Aren't you glad when you got born again, God gave you a new family? Because when you got born again, it didn't sit too well with your family. You thought they would be happy. They were religious. So you went back with a smile on your face, peace in your heart, joy in your spirit, and bubbling up from inside, you said, I'm born again. I'm a child of God. And they got a blank stare in their face. And they said, you did what? You were already a good person. You were already a church member. What were you thinking? You didn't have to do that. What are you so excited about? Aren't you glad that when she, by faith, believed God, was delivered out of that city, she immediately was accepted into a new family. And there lives forever. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 1. Now, this is the grace of God. This is the miracle of grace. This is the scandal of grace. Here is a harlot. Living in Jericho, a condemned city. A sinner condemned without hope. Rescued by the grace of God through simple faith. And look what happens. There living in Israel, she met a prince from the tribe of Judah named Salmon. Verse 5. She married Salmon and Salmon begat Boaz of who? Did you know Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews 11, James chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 1? Who'd ever imagine a woman like this? Now, if you can't picture this in your mind, go down here to South Congress late at night. And imagine someone who's had a rough life, a hard life, having to live on the streets and make a living and... There is a 25- or 30-year-old prostitute that knows nothing more than prostitution. And think about that person becoming the great-great-grandma of King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And her being found in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ... That is the scandal that we call grace. That was God saying, I'm going to have mercy on a person's life and change their present and change their future. And she, Boaz begat Obed of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse. Now go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll be finished. Look what it says in verse 31. By faith. The harlot Rahab. Still called a harlot. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them. Now look at these words, that believed not. Did you know there's only one reason this morning that you would perish and go to hell? Not because you're past. Not because your sins. Not because you're religious. Not because who you are, what you are, or why you are that person. There's only one reason you would die and go to hell, and that's because you believe not in the Son of God, the shed blood, and that salvation is by faith. And here's what she did. She was willing to put aside all her previous beliefs, her false beliefs, and say there is a God in heaven. Symbolically, when she put that scarlet thread out the window, she was saying it is this that is symbolic of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at some point, you're going to have to come to that point in your life where you say there's nothing else that can save me except for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone else in Jericho could have been saved but perished. They heard the same truth. They had heard of the same God, they had known of the same parting of the Red Sea, but one person said, I believe, and the other said, we don't believe. And here's the only reason that a person would die and go to hell. Hearing the truth, knowing the truth, understanding they're a sinner, they're under condemnation, headed to hell, but God his love and mercy sent Jesus Christ, and Jesus shed his blood, gave his life, and offers us eternal life. And if a person knowing that, understanding that, says, I don't believe, I'm going to try to live a good life, I'm going to get baptized and do my best to get into heaven, you're not going to make it. You will be judged. You will fall into condemnation as the rest of the world has and will. Unless you believe. we're one day, hearing the truth. And it reached my heart and I said, I believe. I believe that good works won't save me. I believe that only Jesus can save me. I believe that I can have eternal life as a free gift, and I got down on my knees, trusted Christ as my Savior. At that moment, by grace, through faith, I was saved. Let me ask you this one. Can you say that? Can you say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, that I'm born again. I've trusted Christ my Savior. Once and for all, I've done what God's word has commanded me. I understand salvation is not something I gain, not something I merit, not something I maintain, but it's a free gift of God. If you've never come to that point, you're in the same state that all of those people from Jericho found themselves in. Believing not, and they all perished. And God tipped those walls over. Now when God tips your wall over... Be able to say, I've already put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.